The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. And thank you. If you would turn to your Bibles, uh, in your Bibles, to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been talking over the last two weeks about a spiritual battle that we're in and the truth of the battle. And we talked the first week about our awareness that we are in a battle. And uh, we uh, are definitely... uh, in the battle against uh, against powers and principalities and against rulers and against authorities uh, in this world. But remember this, the victory is the Lord's. So we have victory in Christ, and uh, we are the, the battleground. The battle is for you and me. But victory is the Lord's, and uh, we're uh, His. If we are born again, if we've accepted Christ as our personal Savior, then we are His. We uh, talked last week about our adversary, and we looked at Satan and uh, all the different names and all the different tactics that Satan uses to come against us and to attack us. And today, we're going to begin looking at our arsenal. We're going to talk about part of God's armor today. We'll finish this up next week, then a couple of more messages, and we'll be through with this topic. But uh, a reporter interviewed a man on his 100th birthday, and uh, he asked him, what are you the most proud of? And the man said, I don't have an enemy in this world. What a beautiful thought and how inspirational. Tell me how you've achieved such a feat. And the man said, to be honest, I've simply just outlived all of them. And uh, be assured of this, if you have no other enemies in this world, the devil and his demons are your enemies. We need to be aware of that, that, that Satan is not on our side. He, uh, he, the Bible says he, masquer- he, he parades around as an as a, uh, angel of light. He, he wants us to think he's on our side. He, uh, we've, we've heard songs and we've read cartoons and, uh, you know, even the songs, if, uh, if heaven's not a lot like Dixie, I'd rather not even go there, you know, and, and uh, different songs that that make us think, you know, hell won't be too bad if, if it's not uh, the things I enjoy and the things I want to do. And, and that's a lie of Satan. He, he does anything he can to, uh, to destroy what God is doing. And, and we need to rest assured that he is an enemy that we have. The, the other thing we need to realize is we can't outlive him. We can't outwit him. Uh, but if we have Christ, if we stand firm in our faith, we can resist him. Now, James 4, 7, I want you to look at this scripture. You don't have to turn there, but I want you to hear what it says, and I want you to find some comfort in this. If we submit ourselves to God, if we resist the devil, he will what? He'll flee. He'll, he'll, he'll just say, well, just forget it then. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been uh, trying to, to interact with some person and they keep resisting, they keep resisting, and finally you just throw your hands up and say, well, just forget it. And, and that's what James is telling us. If we submit to God, and we need to realize Satan is defeated through the power of Jesus Christ, if we submit to God, then Satan flees from us. Now, does he stay gone? No, he comes back again. But at that moment, when that temptation's the greatest, he flees from us when we submit ourselves to God. And as we continue our study on the the reality of spiritual warfare, I want us to move today, as I've already said, to our arsenal in this great battle. And Paul tells us that we're 
fighting a hand-to-hand struggle. We're fighting in this battle, and it's a, it's a struggle to the death, and, and the only way we can overcome is through Christ and through His spiritual armor. I think it's important for us to understand the armor that God has for us as we fight this battle. As I said last week, I think we can get a picture of Paul... He's in prison. He's probably sitting and writing these things. And he may be looking at a Roman soldier. And as he begins to look at all the, the armor that the soldier has on, he begins to tie that to our spiritual battle. And, and in those things that he sees on the soldier, he, he says, here's the armor of God. And we find that in Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll, we'll drop uh, all the way down. I said 10, I think, but I think we're going to go down to verse 14. No, let's go to 13. Paul says, therefore, he talks about the battle that we're fighting against the struggles against uh, not flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Now, it doesn't say if the day comes. It's going to come. And when it comes, put on this full armor so that the day that it does come, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And we'll go ahead and finish this out. In addition to this, take up all the shield of or take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and with this in mind be alert always and keep on praying for all the saints. As we see here, Paul is talking about wrestling. I look up the definition of wrestling. Just uh, we all think about wrestling. You may have wrestled with your brothers or sisters or cousins or friends, or you may have wrestled in uh, some kind of school event. But but the the definition of what that Webster says is is a wrestle to wrestle is a contest between two opposing forces, where each endeavors to throw the other in order to gain supremacy by holding his opponent down. So when we read this uh, Ephesians and it says we're a wrestling, we're in a contest between two opposing forces, which is good and evil, which is Satan and God, which they are endeavoring or Satan is endeavoring to throw us in order to gain supremacy by holding us down. That's what the definition of wrestle is. And uh, the Greek and the Roman culture, when they had a, a wrestling time, it was a fight to the death. And that's true spiritually also. When, when there was a, a wrestling match going on in the Greek and Roman culture, there was, there was hand-to-hand combat. There was, there was grappling. There was hand-to-hand with someone who was wanting to defeat you. And, and as Paul's thinking of these things, I think we lose some of the impact of it because we don't experience those kind of things today. But if you've watched any uh, history television or maybe some, uh, some movies that were set back in this day, you know that there were hand-to-hand battles simply for entertainment that led ultimately to the death of one of the fighters, or often in the case, mo- both fighters. So when it comes to wrestling, Satan is an Olympic champion. And, and I, I always uh, want us to remember that Satan is powerful. 
I think sometimes because, and I said this last week, because of what we see in cartoons and maybe in Hollywood, I was watching a, a show this week, I can't remember, I think it was Carol Burnett actually, and, uh, and Satan come out and he had on the red costume with the horns and, a, and a, a, the, the fork tail and a pitchfork and he was poking somebody, you know, and, and it was all as a joke. It was all to get a laugh. And, and I think sometimes we, we think of Satan that way. But, folks, we need to realize that, that Satan is, is powerful. Now, against Christ, he's defeated. But in our realm, he's powerful, and, and he wants our external enemy, the world. He wants to rule that, and he wants our internal enemy, the flesh. He wants to defeat us and destroy us. That's what Satan wants. And, and uh, so he's constantly looking for a, an unguarded area in our life, some, some area that we don't have guarded. We don't have the armor of Christ on. And, and when he gets that, the Bible calls it a foothold. We, we would say in battle he gets a, a beachhead, but he, he's looking to establish some kind of foothold within our life, and he finds that in the areas that we're unguarded. Now, let me warn you about this. You know the areas that we don't guard sometimes are the areas that we feel the strongest about. You know, if you say, uh, you say I'm really strong in this area, I, 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 don't, I don't have to be on guard there. Here's, here's where my weakness is. Well, of course, we have, to, we have to watch those weaknesses, but we also need to realize that, that if we feel like we're strong in an area, that's where Satan wants to tear us down because if he can tear us down in those areas that we say, I'm, I am strong in this area, he can really bring us down. So, so we need to be on guard. We need to, that's why I think Paul says put on the full armor of God that we We'll be able to withstand. If you would, turn over to 2 Timothy. You can head that direction. We're going to be there in just a moment. So God tells us that we don't have to be defeated. We don't have to be destroyed, that we can stand our ground. As powerful as Satan is, we can stand our ground and we can overcome by employing the armor of God. So when we put on the full armor of God, God is saying, you can overcome. You can beat Satan. I, I ran across this list of combat rules by Glenn Weekly, he, he listed these things. He said, here are rules for combat. Number one, and I'm not going to number them all, I'm just going to read through them. If the enemy is in range, so are you. Don't look conspicuous. It only draws fire. The easy way is always mined. Try to look unimportant. They may be low on ammo. Teamwork is essential. It gives the enemy somewhere else to, someone else to shoot at. If your attack is going well, you've walked into an ambush. Don't draw fire. It only irritates people around you. I kind of like that, you know. Don't draw the fire. It irritates those around you. The, the only thing more accurate than incoming enemy fire is incoming friendly fire. When the pin is pulled, Mr. Grenade is not your friend. If, if it's dumb but it works, then it's not dumb. When in doubt, empty the magazine. Anything you can, uh, you can, you can get shot doing anything, including nothing. Make it tough for the enemy to get in, but not so tough that you can't get out. Mines are equal opportunity weapons. A purple heart proves that you're smart enough to think of a plan, dumb enough to try it, and lucky enough to survive. Don't ever be the first, don't ever be the last, and don't ever volunteer for anything. The quartermaster has only two sizes, too large and too small. 
Five-second fuses only last three seconds. It's uh, inadvisable to eject directly over the area you just bombed. And the enemy invariably attacks in one of two ways, either when you're ready for them or when you're not ready for them. The Bible rules for uh, serious engagement uh, or uh, engagement are much more serious than those. They're, they're, they're more helpful than these. Yet, uh, before we delve into these six pieces of armor or weaponry, I want us to help understand exactly what they are. The armor is God, listen, is not something that we get up and put on every day. I've read this passage so many times. I've taught out of this passage. I taught my youth group out of this passage. And, and usually when we think about putting the armor of God on, we may think about going to bed and then waking up the next morning and getting out of bed and, and putting on the armor of God. I, I want us to realize that, that this armor is not something that we put on and that we take off every day like a pair of jeans. They're not items that you put on only before you prepare for battle, like a football player puts a, uh, put his equipment on before the game. That's not. Each piece of the armor is a characteristic. It's a quality that should be reflected in our daily life. So I want you to hear that. This armor, it's a, it's a characteristic. It's a quality that, that we should be reflecting every day in our life. They're a lifestyle. That's, this armor is a lifestyle. It, it's, it's a characteristic of a sincere, significant faith. That's what the armor of God is. There's no articles of, of Christian clothing to be leisurely put on and worn and uh, kind of worn as a garment and then placed over in the corner and think, well, at some point I'm going to need this and I'll go at that point and I'll put it on. It, it it should characterize who we are as Christians. So as we read this armor of God, I want you not to think so much about getting up and putting these things on, but being clothed in these things. Here's the first thing, and we're going to look at three today. We'll look at three next week. The first, uh, the first arsenal we have in our, in our battle against Satan is this, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. The Roman soldier, he wore a, a wide, thick leather belt. And on this wide, thick leather belt, it held his, the swords, it held his equipment, it, it held, in some cases, it even held up his, uh, his shield, and, and it was used to cinch up his tunic, his, his outer garment. That's what this belt was used for. And, and uh, so, so when we think about that, they're not items that that would help us prepare for battle. It's more things that, that would hold everything together. When I was, uh, when I was young, I, I, was, I, I would get rowdy sometimes, and, and we were at church, and we were doing a Christmas play. And so I had on a tunic, I guess. It was a gown, I guess. But it was about this long, and uh, me and some other boys were there. I was a shepherd or I was something, and we were playing and horse playing, and, and I was going to kick one of them. And you ladies may know this already. Guys, you may not know this. You can't kick with a skirt on. <laughs> because when I kicked, you know what happened? I jerked this foot out from under me. <laughs> and I fell right flat on the ground, and it was really embarrassing. But when we think about what a Roman soldier wore, he wore a tunic, an outer garment, that would hang down some, some part down here. But when he got ready for battle... 
he would gird that thing up. He would put it in this bay, this uh, waistband of, of this belt, and, and that way he was prepared for battle. He wasn't hindered by his garment. So, so he, he, was, he, was, he was able to move. He had freedom of movement. He, if he was going to kick, he wasn't going to jerk his other foot out from under him because in that, in that belt of truth, when he girded up his belt, he was able to fight. He was able to move forward in the battle. And, and much the same way, Paul says part of our spiritual armor, those things which equip us for battle, the things that prepare us to the freedom to move around is the belt of truth. Now, when I say the belt of truth, I want you to think about this. What what do you think about when you say truth? I think a lot of us think about just telling the truth. Okay, if I'm I'm putting on the armor of God, I'm simply going to, I'm going to be truthful. Well, the truth is you can be lost and still be truthful, can't you? I mean, you, you may, uh, we may have people that, that we come in contact with who would say, I'm an atheist. I don't, I don't even believe in, in the existence of God, but they can still be a truthful person. So, so that, that, that definition of the truth can't be what Paul's talking about. So what, what would he be talking about? In, in the, 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 the context of what we're talking about, what, what Paul is saying is the truth this, this essential part of our spiritual battle is the truth that comes from God. And, and folks, Satan wants us to believe that what God says is not the truth. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Y'all remember in the Garden of Eden when Satan tempted Adam and Eve? What did he attack? He attacked God's truth, didn't he? You remember what he said to Eve? He said, surely God did not say you would die. See, he took God's truth and he said, that's not the truth. And I think for us today, we need to realize that when Satan comes and he attacks what God has for us, he attacks the truth of God. In other words, God really didn't say that. God really doesn't hate sin. God really would never send anyone to hell. That's not true. There's not even a real hell. That's not true. You remember two weeks ago, we talked about 56% of born-again Christians don't even believe there's a hell? You know what that is? That's, that's denying the truth of God. And Paul says part of, our, part of our armor in this battle is to believe the truth of God. For us to believe the truth of God and we gird ourselves with truth, it's to possess an attitude of readiness, uh, an attitude of eagerness, uh, an attitude of, of being convinced of the truth of God. Because what God's Word says is always right, it's always true. If Satan can put a a measure of doubt in our minds, if he can make us start questioning, is this really what God said? Is this really what God means? Then all of a sudden we're lowering down those, that girdle and we're, we're getting where we can't go to battle because we're not really sure this is the truth. You know where the, the world's attacking us today? That there's no absolute truth. We did a study here several years ago. Matter of fact, I think the college class right now are doing the study about, about the relativism. In other words, everything's relative. There's no absolute truth. It may be true for you, but just because it's true for you doesn't mean it's true for me. And, and that's the way Satan dumbs down spirituality these days. He said there's no real truth anymore. The real truth is, if you jump off the entire Empire State Building, gravity's going to take over. Now, you may say, I don't believe that. But if you do it, you're going to believe it before you hit the ground because, hey, that's the truth. 
And the truth is God's Word. And, and whether you believe it or whether you don't believe it, it is the truth. In John 8.32, listen, Jesus said, Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Paul says we're to, we're to gird ourselves up with the belt of truth. And that's God's Word, following, following what feels good, what sounds good, building a, 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 uh, a religion that fits us, that, hey, I like this, but I don't like this, and I want to take this part, and I'm not going to take this part, and I want to believe this, and I'm not going to believe that. That's, that's denying the truth of God's Word. The Bible says in the end times there will be people have a form of godliness, but... but but not desiring the, the truth, denying the power therein, the truth of the gospel. Paul says our first piece of armor is the truth, the belt of righteousness, or the belt of truth that, that girds us. The second is the breastplate of righteousness. That's a, a piece of armor. We're all familiar with that. You know, we have a, matter of fact, we have a plastic one over here in this closet I've seen a while back. That's where you, uh, you see the pecs and all the things and the, the, the six-pack and all that on that, that breastplate of righteousness, you know, that's what we see a lot of times soldiers wearing those things. And if I was to pull my shirt off, you wouldn't see that. But, but anyway, you, you have the, the breastplate of righteousness. And, and for those soldiers, it was a metal, uh, a metal plate or a thick, thick piece of leather that, that protects the vital organs. It goes all the way from their neck down to below their waist. And, and that was that breastplate of righteousness. The thing that it particularly guarded was the heart. And think about that as Paul's looking and saying the breastplate of righteousness which guards the heart. The, the ideal here is our struggle with Satan has, has determined to, to try to pierce our hearts with flaming arrows. That's what Satan's desire is. And, and through accusations and, and through accusing us of things, he desires to pierce our heart. And, and he attempts to sabotage the truth with lies. And, and he attacks our hearts with these accusations. So God calls us to protect our hearts uh, Proverbs 4.23, listen to what it says. It says, guard your heart more than anything else because the source of your life flows through it. Guard your hearts more than anything else because the source of your life flows through it. There's but one thing that protects our hearts against the devil's schemes, and this is what it is. It's righteousness. If If you don't have a good definition of righteousness, just think of this, it's a right relationship with God. That's what righteousness means. When we, when we see the righteousness of God or we see the righteousness in, in the Bible, it's talking about a right relationship with God. It's not talking about self-righteousness. You know what self-righteousness is? That's what the Pharisees were. They were self-righteous in that they kept a list of the good things they'd done. So what they did, they would say, okay, we're righteous, and here's the reason we're righteous, and they'd start listing out the things that made them righteous. That's self-righteousness. That's not what Paul's talking about. I think it's easy for us to fall into that sometimes. I think it's easy for us to look at other people and say, well, I'm better than them in this area, this area, this area, so I must be righteous. That's, that's self-righteousness, and, and that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about this righteousness, this right relationship with God. And, and Philippians, uh, Philippians 3, 9 says, Satan deceives us into thinking that we can be righteous before God in our human acts. This is what it says, not having a righteousness of my own 
derived from the law, but is a faith from first to last. So what Paul's talking about, the Pharisees said, I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to, I'm going to try to keep a list of all these things that I think God's word says. I'm going to write them down and I'm going to check them off. And when I check them off, I'm going to be righteous. Paul says, that's not a righteousness of our own derived from the law. But it's, it's, a, it's a righteousness that comes from faith, a right relationship that comes from faith. It's about day-to-day practical relationship with Christ, a righteous relationship with Christ. Now, remember, I don't want to lose focus on what we're talking about. We're talking about part of the armor of God. We're talking about the breastplate of righteousness, that day-to-day relationship, a practical relationship where we have a right relationship with God the Father. It, it, it's about responsibly living under God's direction, under God's influence. In our decisions, in our speech, in our actions, we, we're allowing God to direct our thoughts and direct what we do. That's that breastplate of righteousness that Paul talks about. First Peter 1.16 says this, Be holy in all that you do. Be holy just as I am holy. And God says, in our dealings, in all we do, we need to be holy. Now, you may say, there's no way I can be holy. That's right. There's no way I can be holy. Only through Jesus Christ can we be holy. When the Bible talks about the blood of Jesus covering us, when He covers us, we become holy, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. So, so we can be holy before God because of what Christ has done on the cross. So when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, that, that day that we're born again, and we become obedient to the Father, we become holy. And then we follow through in that daily with our living, allowing the, 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 the Spirit of God to lead us and direct us in our thoughts. The problem when we fall away from that is, is Satan comes and he wants to destroy those things. It's hard to be in a great relationship with God if, we're, if we don't have joy, isn't it? I mean, if we're just always in turmoil, what does Satan does? He, he steals our joy. When we, when we fail that righteous life, Satan comes, he steals our joy. He, he renders you impotent and fruitless. And, and when, we're, when we're fruitless in God's kingdom, we're miserable. I mean, when we come and we, we, we're really just not doing anything, we're just soaking in sour, we, we're, 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 not, we're not in the joy that God has for us. So, so he robs our joy. He steals away our heavenly reward. He, he wants to destroy our witness and our influence. That's, that's Satan's desire. And, and he does that through us losing Using that righteousness, that right relationship with God. Satan is an accuser. He, he, he don't accuse us and we're living a godly life. Now, he goes before God the Father, but if we're living that righteous life that God desires for us, we're putting up a shield that withstands Satan's fiery darts. Now, we don't have time to go into that scripture that deals with that, but, but remember this, Satan is always accusing us. We have that breastplate of righteousness Paul says they're able to extinguish those fiery darts of the evil one. Then here's the last piece that we're going to talk about today, the shoes of peace. Roman soldiers, I, I learned this. I thought this was interesting. I learned it sometimes back. They were, it was called hobnails. It was like when we were, when our young couples at Fairview, when I was there, we had a Christmas party and somebody brought some, some shoes that you aerate your yard with. Y'all ever seen those? As a joke. 
And, and this one guy said, I've got to have them. That's the best idea I've ever seen. They were just some flat green shoes, and they had studs on the bottom of them. And the idea was when you were mowing your yard, you was aerating your yard. Go figure. Anyway, he was so proud to get those shoes, and I, I'd be interested if he still had them. But anyway, that Roman soldier, he had something similar to that. On the bottom of their shoes, of the bottom of their sandals, they were, they were pegged. And, and when it was kind of like cleats. And when, when they were in battle and the enemy came against them, they were able to dig their feet in. They were able to, to move forward and, and, and have good solid footing and steady footing. And, and Paul says, in this battle, we need those shoes. And here's what those shoes are. They're the shoes of peace. So, so this peace Paul's talking about, he's talking about a, a standing peace. The shoes of the gospel bring peace that enables us to stand under this intense scrutiny of doubt and fear and discord from within and without. So when we have these problems coming, and here's the unpopular thing about a message like this, is, is we, we point out we're going to have problems. There's going to be things that we come up against. There's going to be adversaries. There's going to be challenges. And, and we're going to come up against those things. That's just the truth of God's Word. But Paul says this, when we arm ourselves, when we fit ourselves with the shoes for this battle, it's the shoes that bring peace, a standing peace. One of Satan's favorite tactics is to, to load us down with guilt, to load us down with fear, and, and to, to, to make us doubt the power of God and the goodness of God. So if he can load us down with all those things, doubt and fear, and, and, and really think, you know, God's powerless and God doesn't understand, then, then we lose our peace. He whispers in our ear, There's, this sin is too big for God to forgive. These failures in your past, God's not going to let you forget those. God's not going to, God, he's not going to take those away. He's going to, Satan's going to keep bringing those things up. He's going to, he's going to restlessly strive to convince us that, that God is limited, that, that God's not willing to forgive, that, that our sin's too big and our, our shortcomings are too great and, and God's going to remember them and he's going to hold them against us. And, and if we do ever get to heaven, if there's ever really a heaven, then God's going to come and say, well, I remember when you did this. But here's what Jesus said. He says when we accept Him as our personal Savior, our sins are cast away in the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. They'll never be remembered no more. Now, here's, that's the truth of God's Word, and that's the peace that comes through the gospel. And Satan wants to destroy that peace. He wants to destroy our families, our church family with discord, with discontent, whatever he can do. He wants to, he wants to steal away our mission that God has for us to, 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 to mandate us focus on what we want more than what God wants. And when we do those things, we lose the peace that God has to offer to the, to the Christian who understands and receives God's peace. God gives amazing peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what the Bible says. God gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. He gives us a peace that knows what forgiveness is and forgetfulness is. God gives that peace. They go hand in hand. He gives a peace that knows that, that God can take a bad deal and make it good. 
That doesn't mean that everything's good, but it says, the Bible says that God can take those things which are bad. And, and uh, in Scripture, we find a, a case where a man said, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. God gives us a peace that, that understands that there's nothing too big or too bad for God. That, that's the peace that God offered for us. God's peace is a powerful force, folks. It's something that, that we can arm ourselves. We're, there's nothing that compares to having a peace of God. So he gives us a standing peace, and this is the last thing. He gives us a sharing peace. You know, it's, it's really impossible for us to possess that peace and not share it with others. It says, uh, I think it's in Peter that says, you know, uh, be prepared to give a hope to those who ask you for the, for the peace that you have. That, when somebody says, I just don't see how you do that. I don't see how you've, you've made it through that process. I don't see how you've overcame. That's through the peace that God has, and it's a sharing peace. In a real sense, Jesus is our truth. He's our righteousness. He's our peace. And when we put on that armor, those three pieces of armor, we put on Christ. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? As you think about that, when we put that armor on, we put on Christ. When we accept Jesus Christ, our personal Savior, we have put on Christ, our armor. We've taken up that, that right relationship, that, that, that righteousness. We've taken up the truth of God's Word that says, you know what, I'll forgive you and I'll cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. I'll never leave you, I'll never ban you, I'll never forsake you. And then we have that peace. That peace that God offers, those shoes of peace that prepare us for when the battle strikes us and we dig in that in the midst of the storm, we have a peace that surpasses understanding. We have a calmness. Oh, we're still going to have a battle. We're still going to be in the midst of the struggle, but there's a deep abiding peace that we find in the armor of God. We do this by trusting Christ as our personal Savior. This morning, in just a moment, we're going to have a, just a short invitation I believe that if the Holy Spirit of God's moving within your heart, you already know right now that he's calling you into himself. Now, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God's call this morning to, to put on the full armor of God. Maybe you've been taking it off and piling in the corner, and today, you know, God's not left you abandoned. You're still his child, but, but you've been losing the battle much too often. Maybe you just need to come and pray at the altar if you'd like Pray with me. I'll be here. If you want to just go get somebody here and say, hey, would you come pray with me? There's, I don't believe there's anybody here that say, I, won't, I don't want to come pray with you. But however the Spirit would lead you this morning, I don't know how it might be. I, I want to ask that you would do business with God this morning. We're going to have an invitation. It says this, the Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? And time after time, he's waited before, and now he's waiting again. Oh, how he wants to come in. This morning, I want to ask you, if the Spirit's moving you this morning, however he would lead you this morning, I want to ask that you'd respond. Remember, we talked about obedience is where it all begins. Father, I pray now as we come to a time of invitation, Lord, I pray that your Spirit would move within our hearts. I pray, Father, that we would not leave here 
worrying about the battle, but we'd leave here empowered with peace and joy, knowing that you've equipped us with everything we need to have victory. You've equipped, equipped us with a, everything we need to have the truth and to have righteousness and to have peace that only you can bring. And Father, I pray today, if we're living outside of that, that today would be the day that we walk with you, that we find joy in you, and that we find our peace within you. I pray now, Lord, that your spirit would move within your people and we'd respond to your calling in Jesus' name.